I have the honor of reading the scripture this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 20. We're going to be reading um, 1 through 34, the entire chapter, verse 20. I am reading out of the uh, NIV version as well. So if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Jesus is speaking here, and he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. I'm reading the right reading, right? Okay, just want to make sure. Okay. About a third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go in and work the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went out. He went out again about a six, the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who had been hired in the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when the, uh, those that came that were hired in the first hour, they expected to receive more, but each of them were also received one denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last only worked an hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have been working the burden of work and the heat all day. But he answered to one of them, Friend, am I not being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And the subtitle here says, Jesus again predicts his death. Starting at verse 17, Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the, and the, Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and they will turn him over to the... Uh, Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Starting with 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Jesus says, you do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup, drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or at my left of me, to grant, this is not mine. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared for by my Father. When the ten heard this, they were indignant. And the two brothers, and the two brothers, Jesus called to them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, 
and their and their and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whomever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and then they heard that Jesus was going by. They shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the more louder. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us, they shouted. Jesus stopped and called to them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, he answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Linda, as well, for helping with music this morning. Terry and Mike hanging in back there. We're uh, privileged at this church to have the people serving that are serving here. Um, I'd, I'd want to point out to you, Wayne, I'm sorry, I, I got I to gotta brag on you a little bit. That was, that was wonderful. I mean, caught in a, in a situation where we weren't sure what was going on, and you just took over and sang a song with the kids. That was really sweet. So, and he also uh, covered for Mike the scripture reading this morning as well. That's right. So I, I greatly appreciate uh, your service to us, Wayne, and, and I want you to know that. Um, so we've been preaching through the book of Proverbs. We have dealt with the introduction to the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters. We've looked at some difficult Proverbs, some Proverbs that may have uh, struck you as a, as a bit odd. If you've, if you've read the book of Proverbs, certainly some of these have been difficult Proverbs. Right now we are going through looking at family in the book of Proverbs. Last week we look at, looked at dads, fathers, husbands. What does it mean to be a godly man according to the book of Proverbs? This week we'll look at what a godly woman looks like. A godly mother, a godly wife. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31. It's been said that this woman is haunted and terrified women all over the world for 3,000 years. She leaves a massive shadow with her imposing stature that towers so high that she is held in awe by all who dare to look at her magnificent and unrivaled portrait. Who is this wonder of a woman? She's not found in comic books, nor is she a tyrant. She's not a relic of ancient mythology, no. She's the woman of Proverbs 31, the ideal woman, the role model, the woman of strength and valor, the woman who embodies lady wisdom in the book of Proverbs, the very opposite of the adulterous woman, 
the godly, Christ-centered, Proverbs 31 woman. Her matchless magnificence is described in beautiful poetic symmetry. In Hebrew, this, is a, this poem here is an acrostic, which means that each verse begins with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. If we were to do this in English, the first lines might, as Danny Aiken tells us, read something to this effect. An awesome wife who can find her. A blessed lady, her husband trusts her. A caring woman, she does, she does him good all her life. A diligent worker, she is skillful with her hands. We might say that this wife and mother of excellence is, as Bruce, Bruce Waltke describes, everything from A to Z. A woman who, through her trust in the Lord, distinguishes herself as an exemplary wife and mother. Motherhood is often discussed in our contemporary culture, in our, in our day-to-day lives. Um, this has been in the news, in, in articles, things like that. In, in 2005, for instance, a Newsweek article estimated that if a stay-at-home mom was compensated for all the hours that she works, that she would net approximately $131,471 a year. That was in 2005. The article continued with statistics from a survey they took recounting that 71% of wives say their husbands get on their nerves more than their children do. 50% of women say that their mom is their best friend. And 94% of dads say that moms are as sexy as ever. Additionally, Many working women are reevaluating who they are and what they want out of life. While there remains a great deal of confusion, a significant debate seems to be taking place. In 2004, a Time magazine story pointed out most women who step out of their careers uh, find expected delights on the home front, not to mention the enormous relief of no longer worrying about shortchanging their kids. Motherhood, they find, provides both joy and fulfillment if it is not drowned out by other responsibilities. Other articles have tended to focus on the negative, stressful sides of motherhood, claiming that the idea of a perfect mother is just a myth, and striving to be a perfect mother only robs moms of the joys that come with being a wife and mother. But, as Proverbs 31 will show us, The perfect mother is not a myth at all. Her portrait is on display in this beautiful chapter and in the book of Ruth. In the Hebrew order of the books of the Bible, Ruth directly follows Proverbs. Uh, And Ruth is the only other book of the Bible which contains the phrase woman of excellence or woman of strength that is found here in Proverbs 31 and verse 10. So the woman of strength in Proverbs 31 embodies all of the wisdom of the book. She is a follower of wisdom, or Jesus. And therefore, she fits as an appropriate conclusion to the book of Proverbs. She places before every woman a standard, a bar, an ideal. Perfection, however, should not be the mother's goal. That would only frustrate and discourage 
each and every one of us. However, growth in the direction and likeness of this lovely lady who walks in, wis- in the wisdom of Christ is certainly attainable. This morning we will say, see eight exemplary truths which present, its, which present themselves for our careful consideration. Once again, as throughout the book of Proverbs, I'll be standing on the shoulders of giants, and most particularly Danny Aiken, uh, his commentary on this chapter of, of Scripture was most helpful. With that said, let's open up to Proverbs chapter 31, and we will read verses 10 through 31. Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 10, says this, An excellent wife who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is in her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for once again this opportunity to stand before your word. Pray, Lord, that as we come to this text, this passage that can sometimes contradict what we are told in our culture. I pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves before it. That, Lord, we would seek to apply the wisdom that you have given us in your word to our lives. That we would seek the bar that you have raised for us. And, Lord, that we would trust you as as we pursue those goals. That, Lord, we would ultimately understand that there's no way we could attain them apart from a relationship with you. I pray for every lady in this congregation today. I pray that they would be strengthened, that they would be encouraged, that they would even be challenged. I pray for every, every man here today as well. 
they would be encouraged to pray for their wives, that they would be encouraged to, if they are not married, to seek for this kind of woman. Pray these things in your name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. The first truth we see in this passage is that she is trusted by her husband. This woman of excellence is trusted by her husband. The opening words of this poem, an excellent wife, who can find, does not imply that she does not exist. It's not like he's saying, she doesn't exist. Who in the world could find her? Rather, the verse affirms that she does exist and that she is of incredible and incalculable uh, worth and value. She is a treasure, especially to her husband. Two reasons are noted for, for this, for why she is so valuable. First, it says that she is excellent. This word here, it says an excellent wife. She is an excellent wife. This word is also translated in other versions as strong, wealthy, able, valiant, and capable. In truth, in short, excuse me, in short, she is precious, and the man who finds such a woman is blessed. Indeed, she is a treasure worth far more than jewels. Secondly, we see that she is valuable. She is valuable. We see this in verses 11 and 12. It says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Verse 11 says that the heart of her husband trusts her. The heart in this proverb is the innermost part of the husband. It is who he really is on the inside. At the deepest level, at the core of his being, he knows that he is safe with her. He does not doubt their relationship. He is not suspicious of her. He has full confidence in her because of her competence and character. Proverbs specifies her adeptness and ma- at managing family finances and necessities. She knows what her man and her family needs, and she will see that they have it. The second half of verse 11 says, He and the family will have no lack of gain or will not lack anything good. Verse 12 is incredible. It says that she will be a blessing to her husband all the days of her life. If her husband precedes her in death, he has no fear of what she will say when he is gone. In life and in death, he is confident that she will do him good. Proverbs consistently brings up the amazing value of a good wife. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a wife who causes shame is like rottenness to his bones. Proverbs 18.22 says, A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And Proverbs 19.14 says, A house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. The man who finds this type of wife will reap the blessings of her precious character as long as she is living to bless him. Waltke observes, her commitment to her husband's well-being is true, not false. Constant, 
not temperamental, reliable, not fickle, and is discerning. Second, we find about this woman that she is trusted, we see that she is trusted by her husband, and second, we see that she is a hard worker. We see this in verses 13 through 19. Danny Aiken writes, This lady is a fountain of energy. Her husband, as spiritual leader of the, of the home, may be the coach. She, however, is clearly the quarterback. She calls the plays, sets the players in the proper place, and executes the game plan to perfection. She may even call an audible from time to time. We see first that she uses her hands in verses 13 through 15. In verse 13, she takes care of the family's clothing. In verse 14, she takes care of the family's food, sailing out and returning daily like ships of the merchant, bringing what they need. And in verse 15, she takes care of the family's schedule, rising before sunrise if necessary to provide food for her whole household. And second, in verse, verses 16 through 19, we see that she uses her head, using her home as a base of operations. Verse 16 shows that she is business savvy. Alan Ross comments that there is no foolish purchasing or indebtedness here. She's not racking up the credit card, if you will. Further, she is strong, not weak. Vigorous, not anemic, in verse 17. In verse 18, she has an air of confidence as well as fairness, and she is devoted to excellence. She wisely conducts her business, understanding the value of her products and giving a fair price. She doesn't ask for too little, and she doesn't ask for too much. She asks the price that is fair. If necessary, she will work late into the night to make sure the job gets done. And in verse 19, she does what she can with what she had without, comp without complaint or self-pity. She is indeed a hard worker. Third, we see that she is also compassionate in verse 20. Look back at verse 20. It says she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. This lady is tender and conscious toward those less fortunate than she. A generous and gracious spirit characterizes her life. She uses her industry in charitable ways. We saw in the previous verses that she is making money. She's a hard worker and she's getting money for what she does. But here we see she does not keep that selfishly for herself. We see two aspects of her compassion. First of all, she helps the poor. The woman of strength does not become so busy that her in, that with her home that she cannot see the hurt of others. In this, she is very much like Jesus, the embodiment of wisdom. She gladly opens her hands to the poor, as the verse tells us. She meets them where they are and reaches out to hug and help, to aid and assist. And secondly, she helps the needy. This lady is sensitive to, sensitive to their needs and works to aid them. She embodies the truth of Proverbs 11.25, which teaches the generous man will be prosperous. Here, this woman has, has lived out that proverb. The woman, this woman treat, treats her advantages not as occasions for self-indulgence, 
but as opportunities to be a blessing to others. Fourth thing we see here about this lady is that she is ready for tough times. She's ready for tough times. Look at verses 21 and 22. It says, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Life has its ups and downs. It has its good times and its bad times. The woman of strength is well aware of this, and she is prepared to face both. When the difficult days confront her, she goes into action. But rather than flailing about erratically, she moves in a very definite manner. First we see she takes care of others. Verse 21 describes to us that when cold weather comes, she sees that her family is ready, clothed with the finest quality garments that she can provide. When tough times come, she does not lower the bar. She does her best and begins by looking out for the interests of others first. Not only does she take care of others, but verse 22 also shows us that she takes care of herself. The text would indicate that this woman is a woman of means. Per, uh, per, because of her character and commitments, God could entrust her with this material blessing, knowing that she will not hoard them, but she will share them. Working with her own hands, she uses the finest fabrics and highest quality material available to her. She is strong and elegant, gracious and attractive, and her outward apparel only enhances the radiant beauty that shines forth from her heart and soul. Fifth this morning, we see that she is a blessing to her husband. She is a blessing to her husband. Verse 23 says her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The husband who finds and wins such a wife is a fortunate man. This woman is the kind of wife a man needs in order to make it and make it well in this world. She will not tear him down, but will build him up. This takes place inside and outside the home. When I was in college, my parents came and visited me in, in Chattanooga. My friend Alex, you may remember him from the song lyrics last week. Uh, my friend Alex was already married to Misty. I'll never forget one of the neatest compliments and simultaneously one of the best pieces of marriage advice that I had ever heard my parents give. They turned to Misty we had been hanging out, me and Alex and Misty, and my parents had been hanging out that day, and they turned to Misty and thanked her because she never said anything negative about Alex while they were there. Indeed, my parents were encouraging the wisdom of the woman of strength who does not tear her husband down inside or outside the home. She does not tell all her friends how terrible her husband is and does not con constantly bombard him with all of his shortcomings. Rather, from verse 23, we see that she enhances his reputation. This man's wife is his greatest asset, his best advertisement. Her husband, her man, is known and well thought of in the places of importance. That she is his and he is hers is known by all, 
And this is a plus for his reputation. That this man could win this lady speaks well of him, and all take notice. She also extends his responsibilities. As a great woman, she makes her man better and not worse. She's not the not-so-great woman who takes a great man and drags him down to mediocrity. No, she is a great lady that may take a mediocre man and lift him up to greatness. She makes him better than he could be without her. Largely because of the blessing she brings to him, this man takes his seat among the elders, the leaders, the leaders of the city. She is an esteemed and respected member uh, he is an esteemed and respected member of the governing body of the town because of his wife. Six, we see that she is endowed with godly wisdom. She is endowed with godly wisdom. <coughs> the job of a mother is not an easy one. Uh, Linda Weber in her book, Mom, You're Incredible. What a great book title, right? says that being a mother is a job with a capital J. In her book, she notes what a mother is and what a mother does. First, she says what a mother is. She writes, what am I? I'm the following. A baby feeder, changer, bather, rocker, burper, and hugger. A listener to crying and fussing of thousands of, and thousands of questions. A picker-upper of food and debris cast on the floor. A comforter, encourager, counselor. A linguistic expert for two-year-old dialects. A listener to the husband as well as the children about their day, their needs, their concerns, their aspirations. A teacher of everything from how to chew food to how to drive a car. An assistant on school projects. A sensor of televisions, movies, and books a reader of thousands of children's books, a planner and hostess of children's birthday parties, a planner and hostess of adult dinner parties, central control for getting the appliances fixed or the carpet shampooed, an executioner of ants, roaches, wasps, and other pests, the resident historian in charge of photo albums, baby books, and school record books, a resident encyclopedia source for all those hard questions that seem to arise. A food preservation expert. A keeper and locator of birth certificates and other valuable documents, because Lord knows I won't find them. An ironer of wrinkles. An appointment desk for the family's visits to the doctor. The dentist, the orthodontist, the barber, and the mechanic. A seeker of God, one who prays. A cleaner of the oven, the drawers, the closet, the garage, the curtains, the windows, and even the walls. A refinisher of furniture. Hubby's romantic, attentive spouse. An emergency medical technician and ambulance driver. This lady continues in her book. She also asks the question, what else do I do? Well, among other things, I do the following. I clip ten fingernails and ten toenails for each young child regularly. Return library books, choose gifts, purchase gifts, wraps gifts for birthdays, Christmas, Father's Day, Mother's Day, wedding showers, baby showers, anniversaries, and other, any other event that might even remotely require a gift. Mail packages and buy stamps. Drop off dry cleaning. Pick up the dry cleaning. Haul everything that needs repair. Attend recitals. 
attend every school sporting event imaginable, chauffeur everyone everywhere, comb little girls' hairdos, help in the classroom, attend school PTA meetings and conferences, act as a room mother making things and organizing more parties, chaperone field trips and special events, coordinate carpools, serve as a scout leader, girl scout leader, Wednesday night church leader, a Sunday school teacher, deliver forgotten lunches, forgotten homework, and forgotten athletic gear, make bank deposits and withdrawals. Wow. And all the husband said, Amen. <laughs> and whew. Well, what Linda describes, we might find right here in our text. What is this marvelous mother like in Proverbs 31? What does this wonderful wife do? First, she is active with her hands. We see that in verse 24. She makes clothing and furnishings for herself and her family, making enough to sell the excess even for profit. Second, she is adorned by her character in verse 25. What she wears is always in style, strength and honor, as well as a sense of humor and a positive outlook. I love that in verse 25, strength and dignity are clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She even has a good sense of humor. Third, she is appropriate in her speech in verse 26. Words of wisdom and cascades of kindness flow from her mouth and fall from her tongue. She knows the nuclear power of words, and she uses them well. Wise and gracious, she is blessed with common sense and a careful, carefully guarded gate on the untamable beast called the tongue. Fourth, she is attentive to her home in verse 27. This lady is active and not idle. For there is always much to do. She keeps her eyes wide open, watching each member of the family, sensitive to their personalities, conscious of their needs, and quick to spot danger. Number seven, she is admired by her family. She is admired by her family. The woman of strength cannot be overlooked. She lovingly cares for and brings respect to her family. And in return, she is admired by her family. They not only show her they admire her, but look, they tell her too. In the first half of verse 28, it says this, she opens, or excuse me, verse 28 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. The children of this mother stand to their feet and bless her. They testify to her impact on their lives and her influence that still shapes and guides them. One of the greatest mothers from church history was Susanna Wesley, the wife of John and Charles Wesley, the great preachers from the Great Awakening. Mother to 17 children, she prayed one hour each day just for them. And she spent one hour each week discussing spiritual matters with each one individually. Her children, no doubt, called her blessed. She was very intentional in the way she loved and raised her children, such that she had 16 written rules for the house, including eating between meals is not allowed. All children were to be in bed by 8 p.m., 
They were, to, they were required to take medicine without complaining. You must teach a child to pray as soon as he can speak. You must give them nothing that they cry for and only give it to them when they've asked politely. You must prevent lying from your children and punish no fault which is first confessed and repented of. You should never allow a sinful act to go unpunished. You should never punish a child twice for a single offense. You should comment and reward good behavior. You must comment and attempt, any attempt to please, even if it is poorly performed. You must strictly follow through with all promises. Now, I thought this one was interesting. She said that she would require no daughter to work before she could read well. Any child would be blessed to be loved by a mother in such, in such an, excuse me, any child would be blessed to be loved by a mother in such an intentional manner. As they grow to become parents themselves, they will bless her for how she raised them and what she taught them. Not only do her children bless her, but her husband also praises her in the second half of verse 28 and verse 29. Look at this. It says, her husband also, and he praises her. And then the praise is verse 29. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Joining the chorus of his children, her husband compliments their chant. They say, we have the greatest mother in the world. And he says, I have the greatest wife in the world. I strongly suspect that the children learned to praise mom by watching dad. They learned it from him. Though I personally don't do it nearly as often as I ought to. I try to consistently praise Charity in front of Curtis. I will tell him how great of a mother he has and how great of a wife she is. I pray that one day he will join me in praising and admiring the godly wife and mother that the Lord has given both of us. And number eight, we see that this woman is honored by the Lord. She is honored by the Lord. <coughs> the entire poem points toward this climactic moment. Everything is leading up to this moment in the poem, pointing that her greatest quality is her devotion to the Lord. Her devotion to and worship of the Lord brings her praise from the Lord in the form of this poem about her and in these final verses about her. Achan sees it best to understand God as the speaker of these two final verses. First, we see that the Lord praises her godly perspective. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm and beauty are not bad. They simply are not what makes a great woman. Waltke comments, inner spiritual beauty does not deceive. Physical appearance is fleeting does not endure. To trust in and focus on these temporary advantages is foolish and self-deceiving. The excellent woman knows what matters. She knows what lasts. She knows what is eternal. These are the things she values. 
as one who belongs to Jesus, she seeks the things above, not the things below. She also sets her mind on things above because her life is hidden with Christ in God, as Colossians 3, 1 through 3 teaches. Having entered a relationship with wisdom himself, Jesus Christ, she fears the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, according to Proverbs 1, 7. And second, we see that she receives a godly praise. What matters is that this lady knows the Lord, loves the Lord, and fears the Lord. Her passion in life is to please him, know him, obey him, and to honor him. Such a woman will receive praise from the Lord, as we saw in verse 30. And the life she lives day in and day out will be fruitful and worthy of praise, as we see in verse 31. It says, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. At the end of life, looking back over the many years of service for God and service to others, she will quietly and confidently say, no regrets, no regrets. So we saw the book of Proverbs begin with a dad telling his son to make woman wisdom his wife. And though this does not end our study of the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs itself ends with a husband praising a wise wife. Woman wisdom points to Jesus, who is the embodiment of God's wisdom, as we've seen already. The wise wife is therefore a type of woman wisdom, and one, who can, and one can only be that type of wife if she is in a relationship with the wisdom of God, who is Jesus Christ. The only way to be a positive mom and a Proverbs lady is to be a saved mom, a born-again woman of God. The woman of Proverbs 31 is not just any woman. She's a saved woman, a godly woman, a Bible woman, a Jesus woman. The applause and praise of the world means nothing. The applause and praise of the Lord Jesus means everything. She walks in wisdom as a personification of Lady Wisdom because she knows that the ultimate incarnation of wisdom is the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ. What an appropriate way to end this chapter. And what a Christ-honoring way to end the book of Proverbs. Perhaps you are in a relationship with Jesus, but you are concerned that you don't look like this woman. This woman is a wise woman, a woman who has faithfully obeyed the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. The truth is that every one of us fail in some way or another. Thankfully, as we've seen throughout the book of Proverbs, Jesus died for your failure and for your folly so that you can do your best to grow in the direction of this wise woman. So you first can have a relationship with him and by that relationship with him you can move in the direction of this woman here. Husbands, are you praying for your wife for the wisdom that she is, are you praising your wife, excuse me, are you praising your wife for, for the wisdom that she is showing? Are you praying for your wife and helping her to become the woman of God that she is meant to be? 
young men, are you looking for this type of woman? Or are you settling for a different picture? Are you searching to become the man, the type of man that will find this type of woman? Young women, how are you seeking now to become this type of woman? And finally, children, have you told your mother how much she means to you? And husbands, have you told your wife how valuable she is to you? Let me pray for us as we move to this time of invitation. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you see this portrait and you realize that you're living foolishly, not wisely. That you do not have a relationship with wisdom. The very beginning stage of having of having true wisdom. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ died for your sin, for your foolishness, so that you might have life. So that you might be made wise. During this invitation, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I pray that you would use this opportunity to come to Him. You can come to me and talk to me about it. You can find me after the service. But don't take another moment without knowing for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. There's a very real consequence that Jesus tells us about called hell. Eternal separation from God forever. Outside of a relationship with Jesus, that is the destiny of folly. The destiny of sin. If you are here today and you do know Christ is your Savior, and there's some area you see here in your own life that you're lacking or that you need Jesus to, to help you with, use this as an opportunity to surrender that area to Him. Don't wait another moment. Don't say, well, next week or tomorrow. Use this as an opportunity to get that right with Jesus today. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you. <coughs> Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Lord, thank you that even when I fail you, that you still have forgiven me. Lord, your grace still wraps me up and holds on to me. Pray, Lord, that you would help us today to understand, to know the depths of your grace for us. I pray that if, you are, if your Holy Spirit is convicting anyone in this room of anything, I pray that we would respond to you, that we would not put aside your calling in our lives, Lord, and ignore that. I pray this in your name.